I'm Dave Monaco, the Alan Meyer Family Head of School at Parish Episcopal School. Welcome to the From My Angle podcast. Well, Happy New Year. We are pleased to welcome you back for the second half of the school year and for another series of informative podcasts from my angle. In this episode, I spend time with Parish's social-emotional counselors talking about one of our newest endeavors, Centered. Centered began in earnest in April 2018 when we welcomed author and educator Julie Lifecott-Hames to campus to share her insights on the stress and anxiety resulting too frequently from today's school experiences and parenting styles. You can listen back to my podcast with Julie from April 23rd, 2018. But in one sense, Centered is really not a new program. It reflects Parrish's ongoing aspiration since 2009 when I arrived to create a learning culture that both prepares and preserves. Prepare students by equipping them with the skills they will need in today's complex global society and preserves their engagement, love of learning, and well-being through more personalized, hands-on, and relevant learning experiences. Through Centered, we have partnered with the Grant Halliburton Foundation, a local organization committed to adolescent well-being and the prevention of suicide, to marry our interest in shifting the way school works with Halliburton's expertise in mental health. You can listen to my January 31st, 2018 podcast with Halliburton's Executive Director, Vanita Halliburton, to learn more about our vision for Centered. Our middle school social-emotional counselor, Ashley Childs, leads Parrish's effort bringing this program to life. She's joined ably by our lower school counselor, Elaine Charles, and upper school counselor, Michelle Murray. Parrish is blessed to have three social-emotional counselors for its 1,140 students. In this episode, we discuss what the counselors do more broadly to promote well-being of our students, then dive into Centered and explore where we are at the moment with its rollout and what we are dreaming about for its future. I'm sure you'll enjoy this episode. Hi, everybody. Happy New Year, and welcome to this video pod from my angle. We're glad to have you, and I have guests today who I'm uh, excited to share some conversation with, and that is our social-emotional counselors from each of the three divisions. On the far end of the table, Elaine Charles, and uh, she is our lower school social-emotional counselor in the middle, appropriately, Ashley Childs, <laughs> middle school social-emotional counselor, and next to me, Dr. Michelle Murray, who is our upper school social-emotional counselor. So we're excited to talk to you in general about our social emotional counseling program, but in specifics, highlighting our centered partnership, which some of you may be familiar with. Uh, I had a previous podcast about it uh, in early 2018 as we launched it and then uh, celebrated it with an uh, opening with Julie Lifecott Hames here in April, also a podcast posted if you want to go back and listen uh, to that edition. And we want to talk to you a little bit about uh, where Centered fits within uh, our school vision and school program. But we want to start today, before we jump into Centered, with just an overview of what happens in each of our divisions in this area of social-emotional counseling. We are very, very fortunate uh, to have three social-emotional counselors for 1,140 students. There are many schools uh, in the public sector, for example, that have many, many more students working with one or two counselors. And so this is uh, quite a luxury to have uh, developmentally centered counseling programs in each of our divisions. So we want to start today uh, with Elaine telling us a little bit about uh, some of the highlights of the features of the social emotional uh, programming in lower school. So Elaine, tell us a little bit about what you've been doing uh, down there with the little ones. Yeah, so over at Hillcrest, one of the main things that we do is um, monthly guidance sessions in the classrooms and there's a topic each month um, that we cover in the classrooms. 
We also offer um, counselor coffees that are for all the lower school parents. Um, so lower school parents on Hillcrest and the Midway campus. Um, and we also offer pep talks to parents, which is our parent education program. And um, this year I started offering uh, student lunch groups as well. So. Yes, so we do the pep talks across all three divisions and we'll come back mm -hmm. to that in a little bit. But you mentioned these uh, topics that you go into each of the classrooms and talk about. So give us a couple of examples of what those topics might be and maybe an activity that is hinged to that topic. Yeah, so we, we do um, have wisdom, honor, and service aligned with our parish leads. One of the topics that I did this year was awareness. So being aware of your feelings, being aware of others, um, being aware of your strengths and your, I call them growth areas, not weaknesses. Mm -hmm. Um, so, and I always, I almost always read a book to the students, mm -hmm. um, related to the topic. And I, um, we also have books available in the library that connect to the topics. Mm -hmm. And then we'll do some kind of hands-on activity that's typically done with their peers so mm -hmm. they can work as a group. Yeah. So. so an interesting parallel for all of you is that, and, and we've done a topic on parish leads and the work that uh, Miriam Graham and Chris Anderson and Carolyn mm -hmm. Cayley upstairs do, uh, really focusing on the parish leads framework. There's uh, quite a puzzle fit there of uh, mm -hmm. our focus on building ethical character and leadership traits in our students and the affective uh, skills that you're talking about. So tell us how you and Miriam uh, partner in the themes that you select or maybe the activities and, and how that works to uh, yeah. really establish that almost a double down, if you will. Yeah. In, in so um, for for the um, wisdom, honor and service, I'm doing them in the same, you know, the same order that Miriam's right. doing them. By, by trimester. By trimester. Right? Yes. Um, and also um, she works <clears throat> quite a bit with Kathy Ross as well. Mm -hmm. And, ch and the chapel space. And so um, we just sat down and looked at, okay, um, all the other topics go under wisdom, honor, and service um, in some way. Um, and she goes in um, once a trimester, um, and, and then I go in once a month. And so kind of more coverage, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we also partner together in other ways, just providing social-emotional support to students and things like that. So there's definitely a, a team um, approach. Yeah, and I think so. that's really important in this whole idea of why the social emotional counselors are in, in place. I think especially when we get to talking about the older kids, there are definitely the crises that come up whenever you put a group of human beings together that have to be solved. Uh, and, and certainly uh, these ladies play a, a large role in helping to uh, bring resolution to, to the human conflict that's natural in any community. Um, but, but this element of complementing a very strong academic program with a very intentional development of the um, spiritual and uh, emotional side of the child, the affective side of the child, I think can sometimes uh, be missed uh, as people uh, really think about the experience their children are having here at Parish. So Ashley, the students move up out of fourth grade and uh, Lane's yes. working between both campuses over at Hillcrest with the, with the little ones and then uh, you, you take uh, on the baton here as, uh, as the students come into the third through eighth grade. So uh, tell us about some of the features of the programming, maybe how some of the themes and parallels are pulled um, from what Elaine's doing up to your work. Absolutely. Uh, middle, middle school group. So I do try with third and fourth to get into the classrooms as well, to do guidance programs as well, as far as the same type of, I guess, kind of like um, allowing them to, we read a book, discuss more so like the topic of whatever the book is. My, the most recent one was The Invisible Boy, and we talked about inclusivity, and we did an activity with that, which they seemed to love. And so the, the cool thing about what I think me being in third through eight is I get to see them third and fourth, and then watch them go and grow through, mm -hmm. through fifth grade. And so then to see kind of how, how much they change and 
their expectations and the teachers' expectations. And so it's been really it's been really cool to be able to watch them. And this is only my second year, but to be able to see last year's fourth graders now in middle school. Yeah. So that's been really helpful. And yeah. then I think with middle school in general, just allowing them to now they come they seem to come more on their own whereas mm -hmm. before third and fourth teachers would say or parents would say and so now it's more of i go in i explain what i do my role i explain kind of how i can help them and watch watch them come in and so it's it's been really cool to kind of watch them grow from lower school to middle school yeah you actually help uh, and assist the this uh, students and the families transitioning both as they fly over yes. from Hillcrest yes. and into yes. into the third grade and the bigger building and the new experience right. and then actually transition from uh, fourth grade into fifth grade. So Elaine works with the littles uh, once a month. How are you working in the third and fourth grade space? Are you working on a once a month basis with those uh, classes yes. as well? Yes, that's always my goal. Once yeah. a month to come in and cover all the third and fourth and then come in the next week and I mean the next month, the next month and do the same thing. So with the 5th to 8th, uh, how do you then begin to work through the advisory program to deliver your type of programming with, uh, again, that segment of student that's just a little bit older than the pre-K through 4th grade students in lower school? Right. So advisory, they have, which the beauty of advisory, they have a lot going on, a lot of really cool activities. So I try to get in via parish leads as well to work with Chris, Mr. Anderson, with, with the parish leads as well as allowing them to come. Th those are the times in which they kind of come schedule appointments with me. Mm -hmm. So during advisory, during study hall, um, and then of course the, the recess and lunch area. And so for parents that are not middle school parents, right. advisory, the advisory group meets every day. Yes. And so there, there are opportunities for you and Mr. Anderson to again bring this type of social emotional programming uh, through actual delivered curriculum right. into those advisory sessions periodically, but Absolutely. also as you mentioned, opportunities for students to uh, to come find you yes. and set a time to come see you. And of yes. course they can do that throughout the rest throughout of the course of the, exactly. uh, of the day as well. Before school and after school too. Exactly. Yes. Uh, so you transition them then to uh, the upper school. And again, I think we'll see this theme of uh, programming <laughs> becoming a little more individualized, uh, right. uh, uh, not so much by, by class or by right. grade as right. they come to you, uh, Michelle. So tell us a little bit about some of the features of the, uh, of the upper school program. Well, I, I think as you mentioned, it's, uh, the students' schedules become more individualized in, in upper school. They also have more free time and a little bit more flexibility in their day. So that allows them more more freedom to be able to come in and seek out support from, from the counselor on their own, which is kind of a nice thing because uh, very often the students that, that I spend time with are self-referred. So they come in and, you know, come in and talk to me on their own. So a lot of what I do in upper school is is about identifying student needs and trying to see what I can do to to help. That may be, you know, developing some kind of an action plan for a student that's having a hard time. Um, and I get those I get those referrals. You know, the way we look for students that are having a hard time with whatever that may be is, you know, either the students coming in on their own, parents call, mm -hmm. a teacher brings it up, right. all of those things. And um, and so I think a you know the the biggest part of probably for all of us of what we do is really trying to to build those relationships and create trust with you know among within our community and among the the kids that we work with i think sometimes that's that's tricky with teenagers and so that's a big part of you know i start off early in the school year um trying to make sure that new students know who i am and uh and and understand sort of the role that I play mm -hmm. 
as a sometimes that's just providing a safe place mm -hmm. and and a sanctuary sometimes it's helping provide a voice for them to advocate for them in whatever area they need it yeah and, um, so that's that's a, a big part uh, probably the biggest part of what I day, do day in and day out yeah I'd say that's something that you and Ashley probably hold more in common than than Elaine in terms of the types of things that come to you I think before we move to centered we should we should talk about some of the programming that that is held in common mm -hmm. across the uh, across the the, uh, the the three divisions and we've uh, Elaine mentioned the, the pep talks, uh, the parent education series, which we have now rebranded under Centered. You'll get to in a little bit. But um, tell tell me or tell us how you guys kind of work together in a team, Ashley, to determine uh, what type of education you're providing. In this case, not to the students, but to the parents. So how do the pep talks work, and in, in terms of your uh, building that programming? Absolutely. So. Our, our pep talks are our parent education programs. And so basically for us, I think it's a matter of trying to hear what parents say their concerns are. So we mm -hmm. talk to students a lot. We talk to parents a lot too. And we like that feedback and we like to hear what their concerns are, what they're more interested in. And so <coughs> I think we all try to, by hearing that feedback, we try to find other professionals in the community to come in, to talk to our parents about things as far as problem solving with students or, um, helping them build their strengths to middle and upper school. We have people, we have different clinicians come in and they talk about epidemics as far as binge drinking and vaping and things like that, or they, they, they offer skills as to how to encourage your students and listen to their feelings and have them to be more resilient. And so we, we, try, to, we try to cover it all, mm -hmm. but basically I think we sit down and we're really conscious about what it is that we're hearing, what the needs are, and then trying to find professionals to meet those needs. Yep. That's great. You guys have anything uh, else in terms of how you see it, Elaine? And, um... I mean, I think the only, the only um, contrast would be at Hillcrest, uh, Miriam Graham and I are leading the mm -hmm. um, pep talks. I think just for that developmental age, it mm -hmm. just made more sense with, um, and working with the parents, so a little different approach versus like having you know an outside clinician come in. A lot of parenting skills. Parenting, right. yeah, more parenting yeah. skills. Especially for some of the first-time parents that are trying mm -hmm. to uh, determine how to establish structure at home or you know work yeah. with emotional the emotional health of their of their children. I, th I think uh, Michelle hinted at this, and I think in, in kind of wrapping up this segment of the conversation, I think it's important to to, to mention uh, both the, the notion of confidentiality especially the professional obligations to which uh, you all are, are held uh, in terms of information that comes to you either from a parent or a mm -hmm. student or a outside clinician who's working with one of our families or children uh, and how you establish uh, those uh, sanctuaries or relationships mm -hmm. with uh, individuals and don't share them uh, with we administrators <laughs> unless uh, it is um, it, um, um, about the well-being of, of the student or other students here at school. So you know, speak to your professional obligation, uh, Michelle, around uh, this important notion of, of the uh, confidential um, relationship that you establish with students and families? Well, and I think all of us are, I mean, in addition to, we're, we're all employed by the school, but we're all also licensed mental health clinicians, and so we have certain duties and ethical obligations that, under our licenses, that we're making sure that we, we serve. And I think it's really important that that students and the families that we work with know that when they share information with us that our our fir the first thing that we have to do is make sure that we are taking care of their child mm -hmm. that our first obligation is always to make sure that their child is doing well is you know we're we're making sure that the things that we do are in the best interest of that child 
And so we're going to try to support the kids, support the family, um, have as much transparency as possible about what's happening um, in, with them. Mm -hmm. And if there are things that we feel that, you know, a school administrator needs to know, we're always going to have that conversation with them and, and get their... <coughs> get their consent, mm -hmm. make sure that they have, that a family has understanding about why information might be beneficial and important to be shared mm -hmm. because we want to make sure that the families really understand the full scope mm -hmm. of, of how this could, could again be beneficial to their kid. Right, but that trust really is predicated on, on families and, and students feeling that they can come to you all and, and the information will stay with you. Right. But the other parallel uh, between the three divisions are our student support teams. Mm -hmm. And it is really the forum where, uh, as several of you referenced, uh, you know, grade level leaders and, and core faculty members and administrators are meeting on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. You all are in attendance. Uh, that's when you are making the professional judgment as to uh, the things that you're hearing, uh, whether they're shared out with a broader uh, group of, of advocates for the student or or not, and where those advocates for students are coming to you and saying, I I'm recognizing this concern with student X, Y, or Z, perhaps this is something that the social emotional counselor should look into. So, you know, Elaine, um, why don't you talk a little <coughs> bit just about the student support teams and, and uh, you know, how you guys in the lower school uh, use, use those? Yeah, so we, um, our student support team is um, our administration, mm -hmm. and then myself, um, and a couple other individuals that just frequently see the broader community, most of the students on campus. And we meet um, every two weeks, um, but we have a referral system. So um, teachers can refer students to us. And a lot of the referrals do come just from Miriam and I working with the students mm -hmm. um, and just for concerns that um, we're contacted for. But um, the really the intention is for us to determine um, what, you know, where the student is, and how we can provide support, um, whether that's an outside resource, whether that's something that um, even for the even for the younger students, there's a lot of students that I'm, I'll meet with once a week, mm -hmm. whether it be on um, social skills or coping strategies, things like that for the younger ones. Um, not not necessarily as clinical as as mm -hmm. for Ashley and Michelle, but um, and we also designate an SST person to kind of be the point person for that student. So just the consistency, right? So um, having somebody that the student, you know, sees, especially because for our team in particular, most of our team is going back and forth to campuses. So we feel like that's really important too to have a point person for the student. And you guys all meet once a week. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I mean, generally, the SST teams are, are, are frequent. They have a frequent cadence to them yes. um, in, in each of the divisions. So it's a, it is a great opportunity for this type of sharing and oversight, not just on the academic progress right. of students. Mm -hmm but on how they're doing outside of the, the classroom. So th this very comprehensive unpacking of the programming that we have here might lead one to say, well, why would we need a partnership like Centered uh, when we're already doing so much? And uh, I, I think really this is part and parcel of uh, where we found ourselves when we sat down with the Grant Halliburton Foundation uh, about a year, year and a half ago to start to talk about this concept. Parrish was already deep into uh, its own uh, exploration of how the academic model was or was not supporting the mental well-being of students. As you know, one of the major drivers for us looking at how we teach and learn, 
how we assess, how we use time, is the notion that the analog model, the old model of schooling, uh, is, is in fact one that's deleterious to students' well-being. It has become a stress-filled, anxiety-ridden, uh, sort of transactional experience, especially for our older students that we feel is, uh, uh, while preparing them well for the world that awaits them, not necessarily promoting their love of learning, their engagement in the learning process, and ultimately their well-being. So much of what's driven us with Reimagine uh, has been this notion of how can we prepare our kids inarguably for the complex global society by looking at how we teach and learn, how we assess, how we use time. But in that equation as well, can we find um, an exemplar uh, or exemplars of how to take better care of our kids? And so when the Halliburton Foundation came to us with their expertise in um, adolescent well-being and suicide prevention, we said, you know, this is a partnership that could marry that type of organization with the ec academic expertise that we've brought to the uh, to the reimagine expert uh, to the uh, reimagine experience, and really merge expertise uh, to push forward um, this endeavor. So we launched it last April uh, with uh, Julie Hames being here, as I mentioned, and this year has really been about assessing what are we doing and fitting it and rebranding it under centered programming, essentially saying to our community, the mental uh, health and well-being of our faculty and staff, our parents and our students is essential for us to keep our eye on. And that's really what we're doing with, with Centered Now. So tell us, uh, you know, and we can go kind of down the line or however here, what are some of the ways that we've rebranded some of our present programming under, uh, under Centered? And, and we can, uh, really much of what you've mentioned already has been, but do you want to talk in any more particularities uh, about how we've uh, kind of repackaged some of what we've been doing as we've assessed it and positioned it under kind of a parent heading, student heading, faculty and staff heading. Let's look at a couple of things we're doing presently under centered in this first year. Um, you want to start, Elaine? Sure. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things that I'm really excited about is the educator <clears throat> series. So that's something we're offering quarterly to our faculty and staff and um, across the divisions having the same topics um, and offering them obviously in a way that's developmentally, um, you know, pinpointed towards that, that stage. Um, a development and I think that it's it's really my goal my goal and our goal in doing that is to provide some practical tools for them mm -hmm. so it's kind of it's not you know directly student <clears throat> oriented but I think indirectly it definitely gives them those tools and strategies when they go back into the classroom to be able to say okay how do you know for instance the, the uh, last presentation was on problem solving so um, we went, Miriam and I went through, okay, how do you, when you face, you know, peer conflict in the classroom, what are some really just practical, easy ways to work that out? Um, and I think that, that, that it's just equipping the faculty and staff and feeling more comfortable because I think there's varying levels of comfort. Yeah. So you do that in a, in a faculty, you're doing that in periodic faculty meetings, uh, yes. uh, for example. Um, Michelle, in, in the upper school, one of the big pieces that will rebrand under Centered is Wellness Week, which mm -hmm. is coming up uh, here just uh, in February. So tell us a little bit about how Wellness Week, what it features, and, and how it's going to be built uh, built up under the Centered umbrella. Well, and it's um, it's really, it's upper school and middle school. Oh, that's so correct. Be, yeah, yes. absolutely. Thank mm -hmm. you for that. Yeah, mm -hmm. so it will be, it's the week of February 4th, mm -hmm. and we'll have grade level presentations for all, all of middle school and upper school with different speakers on all kinds of topics with the idea that we are wanting to, you know, we are trying to create this whole child and, mm -hmm. and promote all kinds of, you know, healthy, healthy lifestyle choices, healthy relationship behaviors, all of these things. And so we want to give them, equip them with as many tools as possible. So we're bringing back some of the, some of the great um, 
speakers and presenters that we've had in the past, including the Grant Halliburton Foundation, right. who will be speaking to our seventh graders and our eleventh graders, mm -hmm. and um, also some of the we're we're working on bringing back some of the people that we've had before, like the Genesis Women's Shelter mm -hmm. and the Elisa Project, and so uh, just coordinating all of that. And then we'll also just be having different a variety of different fun activities during the week that just to continue to enhance awareness of you know that we place a lot of value on the you know on social and emotional wellness that this is really a, a priority for us here yeah the Halliburton Foundation tr uh, provides programming for tens of thousands of students here in the Metroplex uh, at schools uh, in the different ISDs when they come back to work with the seventh grade for example Ashley what are they slated to come work on and and, and bring in terms of programming during the uh, centered wellness week program in February so for the seventh grade they come and they they have basically focus on the different signs and symptoms of depression and anxiety and they present it in a way that it doesn't feel very taboo there's no stigma attached it is purely this is what it is and the students hear it and you can kind of see them processing the information <coughs> and and kind of reflecting and it's 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 a very open and comfortable and kind of relaxed space for them to truly learn what the they, so, it, so it is a clinical in the sense of they do see they do discuss different warning signs and what this may look like but it's also spoke they they talk to them in a way that feels more like a conversation versus mm -hmm. they're preaching to them or wagging yeah. their finger at them so i think it's 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 a very um i don't know i think a wide it's i'm sorry it's i think it is the approach is great given that i think it it, it addresses all of it but in, in a more relaxed mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, they make it fun and yes, engaging and, and, and group oriented. What are the 11th grade doing, Michelle? Do you know what it's the a, program is going to be uh, with them at Wellness Week? It, it has much more to do with peer relationships mm -hmm. and and addresses issues of bullying mm -hmm. and um and they it's an it's an interactive activity mm -hmm. so uh, they actually you know have the kids participate in part of yep. it and so it's um I think that it was it was really it's been very well received. Yep, so looking at these three buckets, basically our students, which we already had robust programming in, they were repackaging under the centered umbrella, new programming for faculty and staff and training, which we'll uh, continue and expand and we'll talk about here in just a, a moment. And then our, our parent uh, education uh, element, this is really where centered is gonna, is, is gonna become visible within our community. Julie Lifegut Hames here in April. Denise Pope we uh, had here in, in August as a featured speaker again on the academic model under the centered heading. We have a screening of, of screenagers that's coming up uh, in the, later in the spring. So you will also see under the centered uh, a banner in the years to come two to three uh, major community uh, offerings each year that uh, focus on this topic of mental well-being, the academic model and its need to shift in order to promote the mental well-being of students. These are some other features that you can that you can look up, look forward to. And, and I think that's maybe where we want to conclude the conversation today is, you know, we, we've basically done a sort of a, a house a house cleaning this year with Centered, right? As in people are trying to figure out what it is. We're trying to get the name of Centered out there. We're trying to figure out where the things that we already do will fit into Centered. Uh, but increasingly here as the year's gone, we've begun to, to dream and, and hope and wonder about uh, you know where centered uh, might go and so uh, in a couple of cases you all have um, gotten some exposure to some uh, new programmatic partners who might join uh, Parish and the Halliburton Foundation in, in uh, defining and, and uh, 
making Center even more robust. So, Ashley, you're uh, just back uh, in December from a, a significant uh, uh, exactly. uh, mental mental health training. So, yes. tell us a little bit about the cer certification program you just went through, and, and maybe we can talk for a second or two about how it might fill one of these three buckets, or all three of the buckets, right. with potential programming under the Center banner. Absolutely. So I just attended the National Alliance Mental Health First Aid Training, and basically it was you were I was being I was presented I presented with the information and then to turn around to present the information. So I was the student and then the presenter. Right. So with the training, there was it's an eight-hour training, and the idea is that it is similar to just general medical first aid training, where you go to a CPR course and you you learn the signs and symptoms of if someone is unconscious, what do you do? Mm -hmm. you are, you taught, you're taught CPR, mm -hmm. you perform CPR, you keep the person safe and stable until the professional comes. The same idea for the mental health first aid is that you, you again, learn the signs and the symptoms, you <coughs> learn ways in which to interact with the, with the individual to say, okay, I'm here with you, you're safe, you're stable, and I'll wait with you until the professional comes. Mm -hmm. But what I really appreciated as I was going through the training as a participant, mm -hmm. I kept thinking like our our faculty and our staff they know these things like they are very aware of the mm -hmm. signs and the symptoms and so what what would I take back and so of mm -hmm. course it's it was more clinical as far as how to say mm -hmm. th these this is what I see give them the language and give them kind of empower them to be able to say I can do this and not to say that you're treating or diagnosing because that's not what it is but more so to say I know I'm aware that there's something going on these are the signs, these are the symptoms. I can sit with the student, I can help the student, I can get the student to who they need the to. The appropriate resource. Exactly, yeah. absolutely. And where this might go, for example, is our faculty all, faculty and staff, all on a three-year rotational basis, have to take CPR yes. training here. as just part of our professional mm -hmm. protocol, so we can see under center, for example, right. uh, this same type of cyclical training for our faculty uh, that Ashley now can provide as a certified trainer, but can also now train others here yes. to help mm -hmm. you distribute that as you can train other CPR providers, yes. right? You can uh, become a, 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 a trainer in that capacity. So I think that's something that we'll be exploring again to enrich our adults. You might even be able to bring some of it to parents through, yeah. the, pep, through the pep talk series. Um, so we appreciate you going, and I think that's going to be an interesting piece to add. Uh, and then Michelle, um, you, you and a couple other uh, members of the community, Benita Halliburton from the Halliburton Foundation, uh, and, and some staff folk here also just recently got some exposure to an organization called the Hope Squad. Yes. And uh, we were uh, interested in what they had to offer as potential partner uh, down the road in, in kind of our third through uh, 12th grade uh, space. Right. So um, you know, just briefly give a little encapsulation of what the Hope Squad does. Well, the Hope Squad is a, it's a school-based peer-to-peer uh, suicide prevention program. Mm -hmm. But that actually, I think it's, it's really much broader than that. Mm -hmm. It is, uh, the, these HOPE squads are formed at, th you know, throughout schools, and they are really designed <coughs> to educate students on, again, I think some of it is mm -hmm. to educate them on signs and symptoms mm -hmm. and things to watch out for, mm -hmm. how they can then help their friends get to the right right resource, but it's also very much about decreasing stigma about you know about mental illness and also about really building community mm -hmm. and creating connections within a community right. and so um so i think it's it's a really there's a lot of, of promise with the idea of being able to to develop a, a hope squad yep. or 
several hope squads depending on different you know different age groups We're across the three divisions right. yeah and the interesting the interesting uh side by side is that is ashley would come back and train adults on these recognition mm -hmm. signs hope squad really focuses as you mentioned on empowering students right to become really the, the a safe a safe space mm -hmm. and sanctuary for for their peers that would really enable us to to build centered into a, a leading program for uh for for caring for the mental uh, well-being of our uh what mental well-being of our students i think interestingly enough i um our upper school students in particular michelle are very attuned to issues of anxiety depression mm -hmm. and well-being um, in this technology-driven, social media-driven age, I think there has become much more visibility around it. I think it is becoming destigmatized, and to a certain degree, we just had three of our uh, juniors uh, lead the Parish Family Performs, where they raise they raise money for the National Alliance of Mental Health. Um, you know, they're they're committed to that cause. So I think uh, by bringing centered out front uh, and helping our students understand what we're trying to do with it, which is again part of the effort of branding any new program. Um, I think we're going to have a lot of advocates in the student body, especially the older student body. So. Would you Would you agree? Yes, yeah. uh, very much so. Yeah. I think that we have a lot of students that are are really supportive and really passionate about this. Mm -hmm. And so I I'm I'm excited about kind of <clears throat> hearing from some of those students and getting them more and more on board. Yeah, the data is, it, it, and I've gone through it innumerable times. You, the data on mental wellness and anxiety issues in our present student populations across the country are troubling. One in five uh, uh, freshmen in, uh, on college campuses suffering from uh, depression and anxiety uh, in schools like Parish across the country. One in seven. One in eight expressing issues of high stress and, and issues of mental well-being. Um, I think uh, one educator's perspective, uh, a lot of it stems from the academic model that has, uh, again, become very tilted toward outcome and the uh, articulation of one's self-worth on what they've accomplished in school. So that's the reimagined story. But there is also a, a complex, fast-moving, digitally, uh, um, uh, digitally visible world, which has put a lot of pressure on our students as well. So they, they stand at this crossroads of an academic experience and a social experience uh, that provides uh, a lot of sources of pressure and stress for them. And I think that's why we feel both the reimagined effort kind of paired with the centered effort uh, is so vital. We too are working on it by taking care of our faculty and staff. We've introduced an initiative uh, a body, a group of individuals on campus who are uh, part of what we call the Fun Squad. We are attempting uh, to recognize uh, even more vividly the uh, uh, efforts uh, that our uh, adult faculty and staff members are putting into uh, uh, the work with students to take care of them and show our appreciation for them, recognizing that uh, the safe environment and the healthy environment we create for the kids here stems in great part from uh, the satisfaction and the well-being of the adults that are working with them. So by offering uh, tickets to uh, to games that are donated by parents in the community, by having lunches and dress down days and other things that say to our faculty, uh, we care about you, we appreciate what you're doing, uh, we are, are trying to create a, a, a more wholesome and, and uh, and healthy environment here. So uh, this is part of what's uh, ongoing now with, with Centered. We'd ask you really to, to, to plug into this work during the second half of the year, look for the Centered uh, uh, heading and, and, and brand on uh, programming here, uh, bring your ideas forward to these counselors at uh, the division in which you spend uh, most, of your, uh, most of your time. And uh, in time, we will, as part of this uh, evolution of the program, build out the webpage uh, and provide resources for you there. I would commend to you, however, the uh, 
uh, Halliburton Foundation's website where there is a wide array uh, of resources on uh, mental wellness and service providers that if you're interested uh, by Googling them, uh, you can have uh, access to those uh, materials as well. So in the meantime, thank you for uh, tuning in to this video uh, uh, podcast of From My Angle. Y'all, thank you for spending some time uh, with us and for the work that you're doing with our, uh, with our students. And uh, we'll look forward to uh, having you join us for the next uh, podcast edition of From My Angle. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for listening to this edition of the From My Angle podcast. Please share it with friends and colleagues in your network. In my upcoming episodes, I share insights gained from my November trip to Nashville, Tennessee, where I had time to visit Belmont University and Vanderbilt University. I look forward to sharing conversations with David Mee, Belmont's Associate Provost and Dean of Enrollment, and Doug Christiansen, Vice President for University Enrollment and Dean of Admissions and Financial Aid at Vanderbilt. In the meantime, thank you for listening to the From My Angle podcast.